In today's episode of Inside the Vault, I'm sitting down with Chuck Lai, President and CEO of Enterprise Bank, to discuss a common theme in a lot of the current administration's proposals in terms of uh, closing the tax gaps, uh, particularly as relates to uh, enforcement and compliance, which we touched on a few episodes ago in our Big Brother uh, podcast episode, as well as some other proposed changes in uh, how appreciating assets are taxed. Chuck, there seems to be kind of a, you know, a prevalent theme that success has also almost become a dirty word um, in terms of, you know, uh, all of these new proposals that are coming out to target uh, individuals that have been successful from a financial perspective um, and, you know, trying to essentially pay for a lot of new programs on the backs of those successful individuals. To follow up on what we talked about a couple of episodes ago with the IRS proposal to report transactional data, uh, or to get transactional data reported to them by the banks, I understand there's been a little bit of a, uh, you know, backing off of that in that they um, are now looking at changing that reporting threshold from $600 to $10,000 of, of activity, but I did some back of the envelope math and that even $10,000 of annual banking activity only equates to just under $15,000 in annual wage. Well, the first thing, that whole program, there's a premise that if we see what's in your personal checking account, we'll be able to correlate to whether you're paying your taxes or not. I just retired from being a CPA and practicing and then in, in the 40 years that I practiced, I did a lot of litigation support for attorneys where they were representing people that cheated. Um, I can tell you without a doubt that every lawyer, every CPA instructs the clients who are representing somebody that's done something wrong, whatever you do, don't put the activity in your personal checking accounts. Because that's the one thing when you're audited, the IRS will get a copy of in the subpoena and review those deposits and that transactional activity. So if you listen to congressional uh, discussion supporting this, it's all about the very wealthiest people are not paying their taxes and we're going to catch them by doing this reporting. Which is typically derived by some academia in Treasury that doesn't have a damn clue as to how the real world operates. People do not put illicit gains in their checking account unless they're stupid. Right. Uh, they just don't. They're, they're in offshore accounts. There's in all sorts of things that people who don't have any moral principles do to hide things. If they're stupid, yes, maybe they do this, but very few are. And so the whole underlying premise as to why you're doing this is, is flawed if you're in the real world. Now we have a government that's run by academia and there's a big difference between academia and the real world. Yeah. What I found interesting is the Wall Street Journal uh, did some research on this supposed tax gap. And yeah, there's some large dollars at play with uh, people in the highest income brackets. But the biggest 
cheating they found it comes from lower and middle income individuals in on my years of practice, earned income tax credit and all kinds of different in my years of practice I probably was involved in representing a lot more middle and lower income people who were caught not reporting income you know somebody who's uh, cuts hair in their house part time and never reported it those things are there and this is going to show those types of things but for the sophisticated tax cheat, this isn't going to accomplish the results. And when people are, when somebody in the government is sitting there now telling you, well, we're going to go, we're going to adjust it to $10,000 of activity so that we don't get the, quote, poor people. Keep in mind, $10,000 of transactional activity for the year is the equivalent. If you make $15,000 a year that's, and you put your deposits in your account, that's, that's $10,000. That's not a wealthy person. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's just, uh, you know, when you do these things, it motivates people to do things. You know, I, I was in Erie visiting another bank, and I was in line, in the teller line, waiting to introduce myself to meet some other bank officers. And there was a fella in front of me closing out all of his accounts because he'd heard of this. He doesn't want the government paying attention to what he's doing. So he's closing out all his accounts and he's going to keep his cash in his house. This is what we want to have too. Uh, this is just not motivating people to do the right thing. And it's not accomplishing the results that you're expecting. And it's very poorly thought out. And it's, it's very shooting from the hip. As soon as the public put pressure on it and says, we don't like the $600 threshold, then they jump to and do this $10,000 thing. And people are screaming and they say, okay, we're going to exclude payroll from this calculation. Now, keep in mind, we're going to have all the banks do <laughs> this calculation for free. <laughs> it doesn't cost anybody anything. The banks go crazy. The banks get to collect your and, W-2s And what are we going to do? Yeah. Now I have to collect your W-2. I have to go through and do this calculation for the government to go do their job when they're supposed to be auditing and doing their own thing. All on my shoulders, none on theirs. And all because we're reacting. Now, how much more complex is this going to get because somebody hasn't thought out the program and the underlying premises? It's piss-poor management of the country is what it is. Well, when you're uh, uh, one of the key financial leaders of this country, the uh, chairman of the Fed, says this is just routine reporting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It... it, it if it was what if six hundred dollars is in your account and then just download everything, first of all, we can download it. That probably wouldn't be that complex. But well, now I have to start figuring out how much of this is from is W Who's what it isn't. All this creates complexity. Then I heard somebody say, Well, we're gonna exclude the firefighters and the police people. I'm supposed to know what your profession is in the bank? I mean, why don't I just become your accountant and do it all for free? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no re nobody's thinking through the practicality of this. All they're thinking through is their fights at Congress, generating revenue, spending money. They don't care what they do to anybody else to get it. They don't think through it. They don't think through the ramifications. It's all shooting from the hip real quick. It's not. You know, we right now do reporting on an income basis. Interest expense, interest income, dividend income. W-2 activities, it's all income. Mm -hmm. Transactions is not what we do. Yeah. And so what, what are you going to do in a program pilot, a pilot program like this? They're going to match 
what your deposits are to what your income is on a tax return. Well, okay, what does that mean? Everybody that inherits money when their parents pass away, we get audited the next year. Well, what about the, the common individual business scenario? You've got multiple accounts, multiple institutions. Sell, you, sell your home and boom, you get audited next year. There's a ton of principal going into your deposit that's not income. They won't see the two equal, boom. This is, and even, and, and as you get rid of those inequalities, you create complexity and detailed reporting, and which is a lot too. of work for a bank. And we're the one industry where it's like, let's go screw them and, and have them do thousands of hours of work and we won't pay them a penny for it. This is not the way, uh, this is not fair, this is not reasonable, this is selfishness on a bunch of legislators' parts who, again, have a premise that if you're successful, you're bad. That's the premise of what built this country as being successful, working hard. Now what we want is if you're successful, we want to hurt you. Yeah. Well, let's build off of that a little bit. Um, the other proposal that was recently put up for public comment, so to speak, is this idea of taxing assets as they appreciate over time versus taxing them upon sale, which is the way the whole tax capital gains tax system is set up now. Can you comment a little bit on that? No, sure. That's, that's the most un-American thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. It's basically built upon, I'm selfish, you're successful, I don't like it, so I'm going to take it away from you and hurt you. I mean, Everybody wants to go run around and say, okay, Jeff Bezos is a bad person because he didn't pay tax on the billions that he's accumulated. Hey, he started a company. He hasn't sold the stock of that company to generate income. He, he built a very successful business. You do something like this and you, you will force him or her, whoever's built their company, to sell their stock to get the cash to pay the taxes and then they start to lose their company. Now, we have always looked at negatively of wealth transfer from generation to generation. That's why we have inheritance taxes, so that when somebody passes away, that untaxed amount gets taxed. But to do it for somebody's lifetime, it's basically saying, if you get too successful, I'm not going to let you get successful. I'm going to take the money and give it to somebody else. That's a terrible motivational factor. You're going to destroy what drives this country, country and makes it successful. People starting their business. Can you imagine if they, you know, when, when they took it, look at how much this, the way they proposed it now, how much revenue this will generate. It's not generating what's needed to pay for these proposals. So you know it's going to have to get more and more, more and more. Where does it go? Think of it, this is like a person, this is tantamount to a, a blue collar person I bought my house, and over the last 20 years, my house appreciates. Every year I have to pay an income tax on that appreciation? That's what you're asking these business people to do. Well, how, how is that in any way American or fair? It's not even an income tax. It's a tax on wealth, and it's totally wrong. I, I found it interesting, the 16th Amendment to the Constitution, which basically enacted the income tax law that we have, is based on income. Yeah, and it's not income. You haven't, there's no transaction that turned it into a profit. And, and, and what it does is you are going to force people who have been successful 
to not be able to live their dream and mature their company and make something happen, they're going to have to start giving it away to the government. Well, from an implementation perspective, if the asset's not sold, There's outside of a public traded company, how are you going to value it? Who's going to value it? Are they right? Are they wrong? We all know in banking, the appraisals are opinions. Oh, yeah, sure. The complexities are, are, are mind-boggling with this whole kind of a provision. It is, again, knee-jerk reactions and stupidity. Well, the scary part is if you get, you're going to motivate a country not to be successful by doing these kind of stupid things. It's 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 just hard for me to imagine. It it really comes down to who is making these proposals, not the people who have built a successful business, not the people that have Theory. created this country. Theory. It's academia people who haven't even made it in the real world. To be honest with you, it's terrible. I want to. I don't like that you're successful, so I want to tear you apart and give it to somebody else who hasn't attained the success that you've had. What I found interesting, Chuck, is there's no proposal to talk about what if your your asset depreciates or devalues during a period of time. They're going to tax the appreciation. Was the IRS going to give you back the money Again, if it devalues? They're opening up a can of worms that is. It, it, the motivation is bad. The fairness is bad. There's nothing good about something like that. Well, it opens the door, like you said, from you start at the at the top of the income scale, but you have that precedent set. What's to say to close future tax gaps? They don't start dealing with the homeowner. We're sure they have to. It's all about raising revenue, and right. this everybody preaches that the 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 wealthy people are going to pay for this. It's not the way it works. It, it, they, there's not that many wealthy people. They can pay a big chunk, but ultimately we all have to ta pay a part of this. And so where's it, it starts to come into other things. And where's, what's the asset that you have that most people that work for a company have? My your mind. house, your savings, and your retirement plan? We're going to pay tax on those things? And if we don't, why? how is that fair that wealthy people do it, but the other people don't? You know, and when we talk about our fair share, we've discussed this in the past. If you're in a top income bracket, making more than whatever it is, four or five hundred thousand dollars a year, you're already paying twice the rate that the other people are. are well, they're already talking about almost doubling the capital gains rate for the top earners. And, and and you know, again, you can go through and decide how how do we how do we carve it up? What's the fair way to carve it up? And I think people that, for the most part, people that have been successful understand they're going to pay more than their fair share. That's why we're a very charitable group of people in this country and we do what we do. But when you go in and you start to create programs that motivate people away from being successful, to not be successful, then you destroy the fabric of what this country is all about. And that's exactly what these type of proposals are doing. They're destroying the fabric of the country. You know, I get angry about this stuff. I'm kind of yeah. like, if you want to be a socialist, do you see that any successful socialist, do the socialist country, do they create the success and the wealth that this country has had? Why are we, why are we doing this kind of stuff? It's just, you know, you can transfer wealth from one group to another to help out. And, and, and I'm all about, if I've been successful, giving more to help others. But to motivate them not to be successful in the first place? This is what people are doing all the time now. And it's wrong. Just like we have problems now with wages. Earners, having enough workers. 
you can see what's going on. We're motivating people not to work, so they're not going to work. Mm -hmm. Then we have supply chain problems, and we have all sorts of other issues. It's just bad, bad policy. Do you still and, think, even with the expiration of the, of the supplemental federal unemployment benefits a month or so ago, that we still have those incentives out there that are demotivating people? Sure, the child, the child credit is a big, a big dollar and cent, and we want to increase it, maximize it. You know, you know, and and when we say, well, okay, let's try to tinker with it to make it more reasonable to motivate the right way. For instance, you know, we discussed the child credit gets cut back whether there's two people working or not. As soon as you say those kind of things where you put a provision in that still motivates you to work to get the child credit, then we back away from it. So in other words, I'll give you the full tax credit, but you both have to work. Because the concept of the tax credit was, in theory, when you're two wage earners, health, child care is getting expensive, right. so we're going to subsidize it. But then somebody says, okay, I get that. Why don't we make it so that then both parents have to be working to get the credit so that they're both motivated to work and then we help them in that. Mm -hmm. Well, they say, then you look at certain Democrats and sponsors, oh, no, 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 no. If you have a one-person family, we still want you to get all the credit. Well, then what are we paying you for, for child care credit when one person's at home all the time? You don't need the credit then. You're you have a full-time person at home. Exactly. Yeah. So what we're doing is we are buying votes and saying take from the wealthy, give to the poor to buy votes, and we're not thinking what we're motivating people to do. Well, we're seeing what happens when you motivate people not to work. They don't. And now you have issues. You know, you look at the supply chain issues and you look at the truck drivers. They've retired. They're not driving. They're not there. So how are we going to address that issue? Oh, we're going to give everybody free college tuition. What does that have to do with the issue? I'm going to pay somebody to not work some more and give them an education that when we need tradespeople and when we need people driving trucks. Now, and that's where the wages are going through the roof. Sure. And yet, what are we doing to motivate that? We have a Fed that is supposed to have two mandates. Watch inflation and keep employment and a, and a good range. So you keep them a balance. You want inflation to be reduced. You want unemployment to be reduced. Well, unemployment is obviously at a very low point right now. We have more job openings than we have people looking for work. And inflation, for probably six months now, has been jumping over 5%. 5.4% year over year right and now. And you can argue whether that, in, that includes... Which is twice uh, their target. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that includes, um, you know, high volatile things like fuel and stuff. But even when you get use some of the other data, it's still way over their target. Still too. close to it's four. It's 3.6, pushing four. And then I hear, well, it's temporary. Back in the fall, when we had this discussion, I heard the Fed say, it's temporary. How long can something for be a temporary? Couple months. And now if you look at how long <laughs> the Fed say this is going to be in the pipeline, a year or two above their target, well... What is temporary? I guess it's whatever you decide makes sense for you to use the word when you do it. It's not two months or three months now. It's already proven that's right. wrong. So you're going to keep pushing employment to get lower and lower and create more inflation, or are you going to stop inflation? 
between the government throwing monies out there. You think that's not what's causing inflation? Of course it is. Yeah, right. Now, it's not the only factor. There's supply chain the other things, but it's a supply chain's motivated because you're giving money for people not to work and they don't work. That's all tied into the government motivations. Well, isn't the Fed supposed to be politically neutral? Yeah, it is. And I think it's really an important thing. And I'll bet you Mr. Powell isn't going to do anything until one way or the other, even if he thinks it's the right thing, until after the nomination takes place. Or doesn't. It, is it political? Is it not political? I don't know. But I can tell you this. It's pretty damn clear you've got two mandates. Stop inflation and keep employment full employment. Your employment is where it needs to be. You can see inflation showing itself, and you're all doing a lot of nothing. When they've said they're going to continue doing nothing for... Uh, what I consider to be more than a yeah. temporary period. Yeah, and, and, and you know, again, uh, you're not even discussing rolling back the buying till we get to November or the bonds till later on where we hit the long-term part of the curve. You know, again, is politics motivated in that? Because of nominations for... I don't know what motivates people. I don't pretend to, to motivate, but I can tell you this. It's pretty obvious you have an inflation issue and you don't have an, an employment issue and you're not taking the normal course of action to address one, whether it's out of political fear, fear of something else. Certainly is it a fear the effects of, of COVID and how it's hurting the economy is something to consider. Or does it make it the easier to finance chains. all this government spending when you keep rates low? Yeah. Well, obviously, when we keep big deficits, if the going rate would be 4% instead of 25 basis points, it's going to affect the budget dramatically differently. And that has, there's people that think along those things as far as the motivation is concerned. I don't know what the right thing is, but I certainly know the Fed's taken a long time. It showed itself. They clearly can see it's not a month or two. There are serious issues in the supply chain. They should be talking about how to fix it, not I'll wait for two years and I think it'll turn around on its own. It didn't happen on its own. It's not going to turn around on its, its, own. Own. its own. You think, and, and at the same time we're having this concern and see inflation, where I want to put a one and a half trillion infrastructure bill through. I want to put a three and a half trillion one on top of that through. I want to start all these things that are going to motivate people to maybe do the wrong thing as far as strengthening the economy. What I do see is the most terrible leadership I've ever seen in this country. And I don't mean that from a Democrat or Republican. I honestly think that right now there's, well, there's two part. ways to live your life. You Spread can live sides. it yeah. as a selfish person or you can live it as a loving person. And a loving person cares about everybody else when they make a decision, not themselves. That's the difference between a healthy leadership and a selfish leadership. And right now what I see is everybody making decisions for themselves, not really what's best for everybody else, but for their own political career has nothing to do with what's best for the people in this country. And it's a shame. Yeah. And when it comes time to voting, we should be speaking and making a difference. Yeah, they've all hunkered down in their particular party's agenda, and what's right and wrong has kind of got lost in the mix. Yeah, I mean, for years, the tax, the taxing abilities of the government were the way to motivate the population to do the right thing. 
Yeah. I remember you explaining to me one time loopholes really aren't loopholes. They were purposely no, I mean, like you, purposely designed yeah. to motivate. You'll see people. somebody say, "Okay, you want to switch from from oil and gas to solar Clean and energy. wind." Yeah. Well, then you stop giving people the value of intangible driving costs, being able to expense them. That makes the economics of of drilling much more expensive. And then if you want to give credits or incentives to the to the other natural, safe producing type things, you do that through the tax code. If somebody gets to expense the windmill, just like they used to get to expense drilling a well, or they can now expense drilling a well, you cause people to push their capital resources in different ways because it, it motivates people to do things. The tax code is there to motivate people to do what government thinks is in everyone's best interest. We've changed, changed the thought process of what we're doing here. We look at it as I will spend the money the way I want to, and then I'll generate money from taxes to cover how I want to spend. We stop. It's like the American people can't make a decision of where they want to spend their money. The government's smarter than us and has to tell us how to spend our money. And it's changed. It used to be they would motivate you to spend the way they wanted to. Now they don't motivate you. They just do it and then take from you what they need to pay for it. It's... And, and nobody can come to a compromise. It's almost like if you have, you can agree to disagree and both be good people. I mean, I honestly, when I get angry at people that are, in my mind, socialistic, it doesn't mean I think they're bad people. They're trying to do the right thing, I think. I think they're trying to help people. They're just not in the real world enough to know that you're not really helping, you're hurting. And people need to start paying attention to that. But, but at the same token, it doesn't mean I think they're bad. We all have to keep open minds and start to work together to motivate all of us to do the right thing. And we're not. We're selfish. Well, playing off of that concept that government can do it better, I also wanted to get your take on another proposal that has come out recently. Um, to use the U.S. Postal Service as a supplement or a replacement in some degree to the conventional banking system. So I'm sure you've, you've read about this. They're being piloted right now in, in, in four different cities. I think it's Baltimore, D.C., uh, Falls Church, Virginia, and the Bronx, where the post office are being used as quasi-bank branches to try to reach the unbanked portion of the population um, where they can go and take payroll checks and business checks and get disposable gift cards at their local post office in lieu of opening a checking account at the bank. And that's supposed to solve a problem of unbanked individuals. Well, I don't, again, there's a difference between academia and people in the real world. Uh, there's a difference in the productivity in government work versus private industry work. When you start your own company, you do everything it takes and you work long hours to make it successful. The truth of the matter is when you work the government, nine times out of ten you work nine to five and that's it. That creates a different role, a different thought process. If you're in the government and you're in a secure position and a client comes in and is rude to you, uh, how do you react versus if you're in private industry and somebody's rude to you, but that's the source of your income stream, 
It's a whole different reaction, a whole different mindset of how you service people. The idea that the post office is going to be a profitable, good endeavor for the government to fill the hole that's being created now by its unprofitable operation at delivering mail, well, use your common sense. If there are companies that deliver mail and packages and do it quite profitably, the U.S. Postal Service, the government, is not one of them. And so why do you think if they're inefficient at delivering mail and losing money that now in the banking industry that none of them knows anything about what the hell they're doing is now going to be profitable and a good thing? What it's going to do is learn to lose more a money. lot more money than what they did By the before. way, they've lost six and a half billion dollars a year since 2008. Yeah. And where do you see how the public banks operate versus a profit or not? Now, again, there's nothing that you, a business to be successful has, people have to be hardworking, work as a team, and be no, motivated to, be and team to help one another. They have to be knowledgeable and, and in are. their subject matter. And, and that is just not, it, it looks good on paper when you're in academia, and then you get in the real world and you find it's completely different. That's why, you know, I'm sorry, but... When we start to talk about certain people that are politicians, if you, you should look in their background and see how much real-world experience they have running a business or have they spent their whole life in government or their whole life in academics. That's not the way the real world operates. Not to say that that's not a positive influence when we come together as a team, that that creates new ideas and different ways to think and share with one another, but to tell you how to run a business when you've never done it before I'm sorry, but you should you should be more intelligent than that. Yeah. I also thought it was it was interesting that you know there's uh, you know talking about these these unbanked individuals when there's uh, thirty one thousand and some change post offices nationally. You know how many bank branches there are in the U S. Six hundred twenty seven thousand. So I want to bring this back around to kind of our core audience for for the podcast and for the bank. Uh, here at Enterprise, which are small business owners. And this whole discussion of, of you know, fair share and taxes, um, my personal opinion is in looking at all of this, I, I think it may end up having a, a, you know, disparate impact on business owners who, by nature right now, don't necessarily have all the reporting requirements that, that individuals do through W-2s or that public companies do. So, um, Interested in your take on, you know, is this, is everybody really paying their fair share, particularly the business community, and how, you know, all these proposals may be missing the mark? Well, Dave, I think you, you have to really dig into the detail because I think people play games with these percentages. You know, you'll, you'll look at quotes that said, you know, the upper income people are effectively their tax rate is 8% and the rest of, a certain population is 25% of the low-income players. And, and as I told you, said before when we were discussing this, you look at the top income tax brackets, they're twice what the lower-income people. Now, you look at how can these people that are making a lot of money only pay 8% when the people who are paying less are 25%. Well, that's, you look at the specifics. How You can't draw the conclusion they're cheating. Mm -hmm. What you can see is there are lots of things... In the, in the tax code that Congress puts in to motivate people 
to spend money a certain way. And obviously wealthy people can spend money on investments where lower income people, not so much, they're putting food on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're a business owner and you make a half million dollars and Congress puts in a provision that says, you, and you're in, a, say, the trucking company, and they say, you buy new equipment, you can expense it this year up to a million dollars. Buy new equipment. Well, you, do, <laughs> you do. That's what the CPAs and people Which do. has its own economic okay. impact. Exactly. And that's what motivates and drives the economy. So some people call that a loophole. Some people say, you know, want to look at it as a negative. Some look at it as a positive. The truth is, the fact is, you use the tax code to motivate somebody so that their tax rate isn't at 40 it's down to two or ten or whatever it shakes out. Yeah. When we talked a few minutes ago, but uh, we were mo we motivated people to drill for oil and gas because we allow them to basically expense the initial investment. So if you're in a forty percent tax rate and you invest a million dollars, in effect, your taxes got lowered by four hundred thousand dollars, and people will take that because it, it's the smart thing to do. Well. You're, you, you don't sit there and draw a conclusion, these people are cheating. They're doing what the opportunities are that are given to them. And there's investors and if you don't that have like other, it, other positive yeah, effects. Yeah, but if you don't like it, because like now, let's say if you're an environmentalist now, you don't want to motivate right. people to, to drill oil and gas wells. Okay, we'll take it out of the tax code. Which is probably a good way to kind of wrap up our conversation is, you know, what can a, let's say, a business owner do? Right now, when you see a lot of this misrepresentations, academia telling you that things that you know are wrong, I can't, if you're a restaurant owner, you know government hasn't protected you and it's terrible what they're doing. And they don't give a damn. That was pretty obvious the way they operated PPP were shutting it down, turning it on, no warnings, everything else. It's time to go to the voting polls and it's time to get on the telephone and it's time to to stop this kind of thing from going on, or you're going to hurt this country in ways that will take generations to, to fix. And I would, I would say probably the, the, the trade associations, whether they be for banks like the ones we're involved with, whether they be for business people at the local level, or even some of the national organizations, you know, they, they're fighting this fight, but they need to grasp well, support. And they're also looking at these things, yeah. you know, it, it, this 600, that, what started with this $600 you know, we're going to look at every account with $600 in it. You know, they, nobody, nobody says that to the public. What they say is, there's a bunch of wealthy people cheating and we need to stop it. Well, everybody agrees with that. But then they find out what they're doing. You know, and it's different. So it's like you take something where we don't want anybody cheating. It's unfair. Where everybody's going to be for stopping cheating. But not everybody's going to be for looking at all my personal finances and everything that's going on. It, you, be honest about what you're doing and stop lying to the American public is where we should start with right here. And when you see it occur, and we've seen a lot of it occur, you get in and you start to vote when we have voting days coming up in the near future. And you start getting on the phone with your elected officials and tell them how you feel. Because this had better stop pretty soon. Or from a small business community, we're going to be hurt in un unbelievable ways. Yeah. Appreciate the time. As always, appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> I wish I wasn't in an enthusiastic role right now. <laughs> when I say enthusiasm, let's equate that to emotion. <laughs> uh, but 
point well taken, particularly for business, our small business community, a lot of this is going to fall on their shoulders if it goes through. So use the resources that are available to you, reach out to those elected officials. Thank you all.